thanks for choosing to download this podcast and joining the BGSM community. My name is Liam West, I'm a member of the editorial team and today on the line I have Phil Glasgow. Phil is a sports physiotherapy consultant from Northern Ireland and has an extensive CV including roles as the Chief Physiotherapy Officer for Team GB and the former Head of Sports Medicine at the Sports Institute Northern Ireland. So thanks for joining us on the podcast today Phil. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to be here, Liam, to uh, discuss a bit of optimal loading. Let's say I've got an athlete, let's call a Kate, that comes into the clinic after an injury. What are the fundamental basics of loading I need to be aware of before planning her rehabilitation? I think when we have any athlete, so let's say Kate uh, presents with you know, a, a, a muscle strain or, or she could come with a, you know, a knee ligament uh, a, a sprain or something like that. When she presents, I think the critical things that are really at the heart of our clinical practice are to consider, well, what's her activity? Uh, What activity does she need to return to? And how are these injured tissues loaded during that sporting activity? Because I think an important principle is that we always begin with the end in mind. And so what does she need to return to? And that rehabilitation begins from day one when she presents into the clinical environment and so once we've established you know what activity what sport how those tissues are loaded normally uh, then we've got a clear uh, understanding also of how the injury has affected those tissues and so our job as clinicians is really to restore that normal form and function of the tissues so that we can expedite a safe and effective return to sport Uh, and really we then use this great modality of exercise and loading to stimulate healing in those tissues, to restore that tissue back to its, uh, as close to its um, norm as we possibly can, and then to integrate back into uh, function. So we had uh, suggested before in an editorial that was in BJSM a, a couple of years ago that we really then consider how we use the different modalities of, that can facilitate loading to maximize both physiological adaptation and restore function. Yeah, that was a great editorial. And uh, for all the listeners, we'll link that in the blurb of this podcast, along with other uh, literature that's discussed. The next question is from me, when should I start loading Kate after her injury? Yeah, I, I, that's a question people often ask is when do you commence loading? And, and I always say, well, optimal loading is early loading. And uh, we, we have a sense that we can't, if you like, take stimulus away from the system. So when we decide to either add load or remove load, we're prescribing a change in loading of the tissues. And so I think that's a really important principle because sometimes we think, well, we'll give it a little bit of space, we'll take the load away, but in the absence of load, that is a physiological stimulus in itself. So really I would suggest that immediately we start to work through what we're trying to achieve, what the effect of the loading is, and how can I maximize the adaptation immediately from day one by modifying or optimizing the load from the beginning, rather than thinking, uh, do I have to wait before I can start thinking about how to stimulate this response? Can you give the listener some tips on how you might achieve that in a clinic with uh, crutches or... Sure, yeah. Uh, really, when we, when we uh, think about trying to achieve optimal loading, we, we know that it 
it can be difficult in the presence of pain and swelling and we've got tissues that are quite vulnerable so uh, sometimes people are really apprehensive to add load on in the early stages because they they're worried about compromising these already vulnerable tissues i think the important principle there is that that we still want to protect the tissues and at no stage do are we suggesting that you just load randomly or, or load uh, overload in those early stages but in the early stages, adding a mechanical stimulus to harness that of those effects of mechanotransduction, which works at a biological level, we know that it influences the tissue uh, uh, molecularly, cellularly, and, and actually changes the, the tensile properties and presentation of the tissues, that we know if we add that loading early in a very gentle, progressive manner, that can be effective. So practical strategies for that. Rather than viewing things like crutches or braces as a way of unloading tissues or protecting tissues just, maybe we can start to think of, can I use crutches to facilitate some gentle controlled loading of these tissues? Uh, perhaps I can use uh, uh, braces, even using my hands to uh, add a, a mechanical stimulus to certain tissues in a, in a very controlled manner. There are other ways that we can consider using uh, mechanical loading uh, as well by offloading so things like anti-gravity treadmills and um, uh, passive movements or or even using aquatic based therapies that we can add some tissue loading to stimulate a response whilst at the same time always protecting the injured tissue some really great practical tips there i, I know you did a great paper uh, around this, uh, talking about the RICE, the rest, ice, compress and elevate protocol and how it might need to be updated. Do you want to give a brief comment on that? Yeah, I, th I think we're, a few years ago in uh, conjunction with my, my colleagues, Chris Blakely and Donald McCauley, we, we, as part of the broader UK physios and sport piece of work where we looked at the uh, acute management of soft tissue injuries and, and we did a really extensive uh, systematic review and meta-analysis of the available evidence and uh, really it was, it was very apparent that the evidence supporting prolonged periods of immobilization or unloading of tissue actually gives us poorer outcomes at a whole range of levels. It gives us poorer outcomes from a structural side of things in that the tissue is less able to sustain load. It gives us poorer outcomes histologically, so we get poorer alignment of tissues and, and uh, poorer alignment perhaps of, of some of the muscle fascicles or tenocytes. And we know then also, in addition to that, that functionally in terms of things like capillary ingrowth and tissue regeneration, extra connective tissue are all uh, are, are all affected whether we load or we don't load. So really we recognized at that stage this idea of the PRICE or RICE acronym of REST, ICE, Compression or Elevation or PRICE, which adds protection at the beginning. We thought that RICE, uh, that, that the RICE acronym REST was almost indicative of an absence of loading, uh, but and that it's a very negative approach and that in a way it's a, we'll, we'll put that on the back shelf until we can begin loading. I think the evidence tells us that we need to load early and that we need to find ways to do that intelligently and effectively. And so we, we really suggested that the acronym be changed from PRICE to POLICE, uh, and which really is protection. So protection of the tissue is still important, but that we immediately try to optimally load the tissue. And then we maintain those other components of the acronym of ICE, compression and elevation. Um, but the, the optimal loading, it's that uh, we substitute rest for optimal loading because it's really important to remember that absence of load is still a prescription. 
Uh, and really what we are saying that whether we choose to remove load, we have to have a very good rationale for that. And then similarly, we want to consider, is there a good rationale for the type of loading, the direction, the force, uh, and the nature of that loading that will stimulate the tissue adaptation as quickly as possible? Okay, great. So I think we're saying that people need to think a little bit outside of the box, um, which, which is good. So you mentioned a little bit about uh, tissues uh, and, and how they might adapt differently. So why don't we look at that a bit more? So would the loading patterns of rehabilitation look different for Kate if her injury was a muscle rather than, say, tendon-based? And I guess, do we know the perfect recipes of loading for these different structures? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think we understand that biological tissues differ in their roles, their function, and how they transmit and respond to load. Uh, and so we can use that information to help us just be a bit more focused in our loading, as well as, as being uh, optimal loading being early loading. Optimal loading is tissue and adaptation specific. So if we take, for example, uh, the tissue, something like bone, and we, we're th thinking, you know, what is the nature? Sure, the frequency, duration, magnitude, direction, and intensity of load that will maximize the adaptation that I want. What we know, for example, with bone uh, loading is that uh, it, it, it has to be above the normal daily loading. So it, it has to have a, a high enough load magnitude. And it's better when it's novel type of loading. So we have to sit outside the, the envelope of function. So in a way, it's uh, like we need a specific amount of overload. We, we see this potentially, I think, with tendon as well. There were some studies shown a few years ago uh, looking at loading of tendon and with eccentrics, for example, and we got a better adaptation of tendon whenever there was a, a higher load placed through that tendon. Uh, and so we're saying that we need sufficient overload, uh, but it's also better uh, as, as well, and I think this applies to other tissues too, other than bone, is that there is a sense of a bit of a law of accommodation uh, in this. Uh, and so loading needs to be dynamic rather than static in its nature. Short bouts of very dynamic loading of sufficient magnitude will tend to stimulate and doing that regularly, I think will be really key. So if we want, if we've got someone with a bony injury, for example, uh, be that a stress fracture or after any other type of bony injury, we need to ensure that we, we hit some of those factors. If the person is presenting with muscle, it's really quite different. Muscle is a, is a much more a biologically active, if you like, tissue. It's tissue turnover time is much uh, lower. Uh, and we know that we can really influence a lot of the recapillarization. We know that uh, we want to load and, and consider, am I getting good recruitment of that muscle again? So there's the neural components that we're considering, not just the the structural factors. I want to facilitate recapillarization. I want to facilitate bridging of that gap. So in, in addition to wanting to load the tissue, I don't want to overload and pull perhaps those two injured ends apart. In the early stages, blood flow is really quite limited following a muscle injury. So it's it working anaerobically primarily. So I would suggest working for short bouts uh, at little and often, again, is critical with that early muscle injuries. And, and there's lots of evidence, as we're very familiar with, for the use of eccentrics and how they are really effective in stimulating um, good morphological changes. But I also think that we want to consider not just the morphological changes, but ensuring that we get good muscle recruitment and and we then look ahead to saying, how can I ensure that this muscle is recruited and it facilitated uh, its action in sport-specific activities? Great stuff. And with tendons? Yeah, so uh, tendon is, uh, is a, a great 
example where there's been a lot of research. And I also think, and and, and our understanding of uh, of tendon has improved hugely over the last years. But I always, always when I look at any, be it a tendon injury or muscle injury, I, I like to think about the muscle tendon unit. Uh, particularly, and and how does the tendon interact with the muscle? Uh, there was a really nice uh, paper that or editorial about revisiting the continuum model that um, Jill Cook and, uh, and Craig Purdom uh, did just last year, which was was really nice to help us ask questions. You know, are we dealing with a tendon that is painful? Uh, is is it has it got poor function in that it's a build load bearing capacity? Uh, and is is there pathology there? And and actually. I think those three things are really nice ways to consider how we would load any tissue, but in tendon, it's particularly helpful, I think. So what's the pathology? What stage of that continuum model, the reactive stage, the, the regeneration phase or the, the degenerative phase or remodeling phase? Tendon is really uh, is a great area where our understanding has improved hugely over the last uh, few years. And uh, uh, Jill Cook and Craig Purdom revisited the tendon continuum model in a great editorial uh, last year, and they highlighted um, three key things to think about when loading tendon. Uh, and uh, that was really what's the state of pathology in the tissue? Uh, is it painful? And also, what's its function? How, how compliant or, or how able is that tendon to transmit force and, and act effectively? So, when we think about uh, that, I think those three things are really good hooks, if you like for considering loading of any tissue. So that could apply also to, to ligament uh, uh, as well and, and muscle. But if we have a, a, an early reactive tendinopathy where uh, perhaps it's, it, you know, it's painful and, and there is a poor load capacity and there's some uh, issues around function, we, we want to then deal with that pain and then restore function. Whereas if, you know, if you've got a more chronic uh, degenerative tendinopathy where we can perhaps, you know, the, the pain is, it can be less of an issue, uh, but the function is, is really poor. So we're really trying to focus on the tissue adaptation. We might have slightly different loading strategies. So in the early stage, if someone's painful, we know, for example, the use of isometrics can be really helpful in reducing pain, have that analgesic effect. But not only do we get an analgesic effect, we also then consider what's happening within the whole muscle tendon unit. So we can facilitate better recruitment of the muscle fibers, uh, uh, the, the, the muscle tissue rather, associate it with that tendon and reduce the inhibition as a consequence of that pain. And so I, I think that you always want to view, yes, what's happening at a tissue level, but then I, I think you look up at a level to the muscle tendon unit and how that functions normally within that sport. That's some really great uh, info there. I'm really enjoying that. So I guess with Kate, um, now that we know the different types of tissues to try and adapt, um, do her loading patterns during her rehabilitation change or do they stay the same yeah i i think that we we need to in, in addition to optimal loading i suppose being early loading uh, it being tissue and adaptation specific it needs to have optimal loading needs to have appropriate progressions uh, we we have to consider in the early stages where we're trying to facilitate perhaps reduction of pain we're facilitating the early laydown of some structural components to facilitate uh, healing, maximize recapillarization, reduce scar tissue. But as we progress through rehabilitation, we then now need this robust tissue to be integrated in to the loading patterns associated with the sport. 
So for example, if let's say Kate is a volleyball player and uh, she has a, a, you know, a knee uh, tendon problem, a patellar tendon problem, we need to ensure that we uh, restore the plyometric and the force absorption uh, and storage and elastic storage and release of energy within that, those tissues. In the early stages, isometrics can be really helpful to reduce pain and facilitate uh, recruitment. But as we progress through, we need to ensure uh, that we then think about, well, when does our normal uh, you know, isotonic type exercise add in? Then we need to move and ensure that we've got the appropriate eccentric activities. But then beyond that, we need to then start adding in rate of loading and do that in line with her function, her pain, uh, and particularly in line with how long it takes that tissue to turn over. Um, so that, that, for example, is in, in tendon. Similarly, we could apply it to muscle. Uh, it, we start in the early stages of restoring strength, uh, getting good muscle recruitment, trying to do, it, recruit that muscle at various lengths, controlled lengthening through our eccentric protocols. But now we start to think, well, what about rate of force development? What about acceleration and deceleration, force attenuation, as well as power amplification, and introduce changes of direction, bounding activities, and high-speed running towards the later stages. So in the early stages, it's very controlled. We have our loading is very prescribed. It's controlled. It's protecting the tissue. Once we're comfortable, the tissue is more robust. We increase the rate of that loading. We add unpredictability to that loading as well because sport is often unpredictable. And our ability to adapt to unpredictable stimulus or an unpredictable environment is, I think, a really critical part of rehabilitation and ensures that the tissues are being loaded in multiple directions and planes of movement, which often are one-dimensional rehabilitation exercises, can, can sometimes leave us coming up a little bit short. So we've got to take time to ensure that we adequately expose the tissue in a very systematic and progressive manner to the stresses and strains associated with the athlete's activity. There's been so much knowledge uh, thrown around in this and it's, it's been great and I'm sure the listeners will uh, be enjoying it as well. Why don't we wrap it up now and, and try and condense all of this to the practical considerations that you believe uh, can be used to achieve optimal loading? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of theory and, and the reality is most people listening to this podcast are, are working in the clinical environment. They're working with athletes who are playing sports. And so we, first things, we've got to really know the sport and the athlete well. We've got to know how those tissues are loaded. And so what are the specific compressive tensile cyclical load that is associated with the sport uh, and use the exercise modalities associated with that? So when would we use... Uh, isometrics, for example, when we would use eccentrics, I think what's really clear for muscle tendon unit injuries, you know, uh, moving towards eccentric based uh, training is really important. But for uh, multi-directional power based sports, we have to restore the ability to do more plyometric stretch shortening cycle type activities. So thinking about doing high load activities early to facilitate uh, tissue adaptation, but then lower load, high speed. So that force velocity curve, we move from low velocity, high force towards lower force, high velocity type activities. The other thing then is we want to consider what's happening in the sport uh, themselves. So we integrate our tissue loading, if you like, into our functional outcomes because often many of our outcome measures are, are related to 
one-dimensional one functional tests that happen in the clinical environment. We know that no one test can predict re-injury and our loading must reflect the demands of the sport. So what are the sport-specific skills that are required? What, what does the person have to do? Have we restored reactive agility? So that ability to respond and react really quickly in an unpredictable, complex uh, environment where the entire neuromusculoskeletal system is working uh, interdependently. Uh, and I think this is really critical. So in the early stages, we're, we're teaching the people to train, to train, if you like, where it's about repetition. We look for perfect form, get good consistency of movement. But if we leave it there, we won't get good outcomes. We need to move then into changing things, changing the constraints of the environment, if you like, so that the person has to look for better movement solutions. Uh, and, but they, we do that in a controlled, safe manner. And then when we were returning to sport, it's done at game speed. It's done under pressure uh, with unpredictable uh, variability and there are lots of constraints. And it's only at this stage do I really think that the tissues are now being loaded in the same way as they would be in sport. And only then really I think can we be confident, if you like, that we've got the adaptation appropriately and that those tissues have been integrated into their, uh, their activities. And then I think we can... Uh, facilitate better return to play perfect i think that's a great way to close this podcast uh, phil it's always great connecting with you and thanks for sharing your thoughts and expertise with the listeners today on this bgsm podcast it's a pleasure liam and um, uh, optimal loading is such a great uh, topic and a great area and it's uh, it's the theme of the, the second world congress and sports physical therapy that's been held in belfast in the 6th and 7th of october this year where we'll spend two days considering how we can optimally load all the different tissue types sports specific scenarios we've got a stellar lineup of some fantastic speakers uh, supported by bjsm and hosted by uh, physios and sport uk so uh, if, if this has whet your appetite i would really encourage people to make a trip to belfast in october and i think two days might not be enough after this uh, very stimulating podcast Thank you, Liam. In addition to the Belfast conference Phil just mentioned, you can also hear him talk all things related to optimal loading at the Sports Physiotherapy New Zealand Symposium happening in Auckland on the 14th to 15th of October of this year. Thanks again for choosing this podcast. Interact further with the BGSM via the app or one of our various social media channels. I hope you get to have an optimally loaded, physically active day. <laughs>